If you're going out for a listing presentation and you walk into that home, you should brighten that place when you walk in. Is that true? In terms of who I am, I'm a difference maker. I, I like to get people to confront neglect. You've been doing speaking for, for what, like 30 years now? 30 years. Unbelievable. I've done a thousand now from everybody from Harley Davidson to Hyatt. I've developed a unique skill to move people to action. You spent almost six years working with Tony. It was really a game. Back then, we believed in what we were doing. We knew we had a great product. Here for you now in personal power with Anthony Robbins. How did Chip get uncomfortable when he started and throughout his life, how he's getting uncomfortable every day and why getting uncomfortable is actually good for you? I can't talk about energy and taking care of yourself and show up not looking like I walk my talk. You know, there's a reason I'm in front of that audience. Those people need to hear my message. Chip Eichelberger is a renowned communication trainer. He's an ex-international appointment for Tony Robbins. He is a professional motivation speaker who created the Get Switched On program. Now, I wanted to have this conversation with Chip because I admire his lifestyle. Chip is 62 and he's in incredible physical form. He had discipline for 30 years with regards to his exercise, his diet, his routine, and of course his mindset. Uh, so Chip is an example and I wanted to tap into that lifestyle to learn. So that's why conversation with him is so important to me. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I have this kind of warm-up question, but I would appreciate if you can kind of, you know, answer it in kind of its fullness because I am personally interested to kind of better know you and better understand you, all right? Sure. So, Chip, who are you? What do you do? And then what's your mission? <laughs> who am I? What do I do? Well, uh, I I've been on a mission since I had a very faithful classified ad I read in uh, September 1988. I'd been with a big sportswear company, an international company called Janssen, was there for four years, thought that was going to be my life being a sportswear rep, and I enjoyed it, had a couple promotions in four years, but the company got bought out, and they cut the sales force in half, and I lost my job, and had gravitated down to San Diego, California, from where I grew up in Spokane, Washington, and uh, uh, relationship broke up, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I saw a little classified ad, and it said, to earn excellent income promoting a national celebrity, five people are wanted who are committed to make a difference. Right. I thought, make a difference, national celebrity, who could that be? And uh, back in September 88, turned out to be, there was a guy named Anthony Robbins, or Tony Robbins, which some people might know. And right. I'd never heard of him before. I love Tony like a brother, but he does sometimes exaggerate a little bit. He was not a national celebrity then. He obviously is international now. And I went to see him one night for about three hours in a live program. And I'm just like, holy shit, who is this guy? I'd never seen anything like him. You know, Tony's six foot seven, size 16 shoes, amazing energy and passion. I thought, what if I started working with him? What would happen? And literally a week later, I was driving up to uh, uh, Seattle, Washington and uh, was promoting. He had a one day program. So our jobs were basically going out to anybody we could get in front of, primarily sales and marketing companies, multi-level marketing companies doing a 30- or 45-minute fun presentation that gave value, but at the end, try to get enrollment and persuade people to invest their money right now to spend a day with us at this seminar. And that changed my life. I was there for six years. I was this primary international guy that went ahead of him to get him on, uh, in, into Australia, work with the promoters there, went ahead of him to go to the U.K., 
And it was a fantastic training ground. I've developed a unique skill to move people to action because it was a 100% commission job, right? So if people didn't buy tickets, I didn't make any money. So I had to move people to take action elegantly in a fun, playful way. But I kind of call it in your face with love. And I took that skill. I love Tony like a brother, but there was really no piece of the pie there. So after six great years, I moved on and started my own little niche of speaking and opening and closing conventions. I've done a thousand now from everybody from Harley Davidson to Hyatt or National Paper Trade Association, whatever it might be. Companies are looking for an engaging, high energy, fun program that's going to be, I'd say, packed with the message that moves people to action. So in terms of who I am, I'm a difference maker. I, I like to get people to confront neglect. I get to people to look in the mirror. Where am I now? What's possible? What's the neglect? What are the errors I'm making now? How can I turn those errors into new disciplines and new habits to create a new possibility for me to create long-term change? You spent almost six years working with Tony and, and his team, and that was, uh, you know, like a big hit for you. What did you enjoy the most, like working either with him or with the team, like that major sure. thing for six years? Or was it the drive? Was it like commission? Was it like the... No, you know, no cap. It was really a game. Back then, we believed in what we were doing. We knew we had a great product. Um, it was really a family feel. Um, the Tony basically became kind of famous because of the infomercial. The first one was with Fran Tarkington. Yeah. Back then, cable rates were very low, and they were selling a product, the personal power tapes, that was maybe, I think, $189.95. Probably cost them $12 to make it, right? And I know Guthrie Ranker, the return rate was 50% on that product. People would order it and never look at it, and so they'd return it. But still, it was wild, wildly successful. So back then, just getting them on the map, going out there, pioneering. We'd go to a different city about every two months. We do that all around. So I, I've spoken pretty much every major city in the country. In my career now, I've been to every city of any size in North America and uh, done events. So back then, it was the game. It wasn't about the money. It was about the mission. It was about the fun. It was about a very competitive thing. Who could sell the most tickets? And it was uh, right. just, I mean, I did 1,300 events to promote Tony before I ever got up on stage. So it was a, it was a good proving wow. ground and a school of hard knocks because there wasn't a ton of training back then. It was figure out what works. And that's one of the things Tony is known for is success leaves clues. So find out who is doing something well and how can you model that to increase your likelihood of achieving your goal quicker. It was, it was just fun. I mean, I had great people on the road, many of them my best friends to this day that I stay in touch with. So what was it like to work in that environment in 1993, 94, kind of, you know, not having all that technology available to you, you know, uh, not, as you said, like there is no one out there who can guide you through the process, teach you, you were just learning on yourself. So was it like, it's like, obviously when I'm, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I, I probably am romanticizing a lot of things. I was like, Hey, you know, you're always with your buddies on the road, you just kind of grind, but then it must be physically exhausting. It must be tiring. You must be hustling like a lot of time. You don't know oh, what yeah. the... Uh, you know, you know what their work-life balance is. So can you paint for me, like, what was it like, you know, living through that time and then being in that environment? Well, that was a quick six years because, I mean, I, 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 we were based in San Diego and I kind of had my stuff in an apartment I was subletting with a buddy. But, I mean, we didn't have a home. I mean, I just went from city to city to city and just uh, it, it was it was crazy. Um, 
So that was unique to be able to do that nomad aspect to life. So that was fun. It was a very family atmosphere on the road because we had, you know, five, six people typically we were with. We worked out together. We practiced our presentations together. We reviewed it. So it was a very team atmosphere there. And then you get to the point, I'm sure many people listening, you know, you have that entrepreneurial moment and you say, hey, I need to make a change. And what you were doing is successful and what you're doing you're good at and you're being successful, but there comes a point where you say, hey, I, I need more than this. I got to challenge myself. And sometimes it's tough to make that decision to just cut from what you're already doing well to something that there's uncertainty and there's fear. And it's just going out and believing in yourself and making it a study. Somebody's carved that path. For me, I was very yeah. lucky, uh, you know, back in the day in the 90s, there was no digital video that was all literally videotape, right? I had a very high quality presentation that was recorded, almost looked like a PBS infomercial kind of thing where I was speaking. I had that in the can for a couple of years. Then I finally decided, hey, I, I'm going to try this. So I put together my first video off of that and I had success. Um, the business back then was because there was no internet. I mean, you're looking for speakers. How are you going to find a speaker? There was no internet. Yeah. And so yeah. there was uh, speakers bureaus who represent speakers and they published a book and they sent it out to everybody. I mean, every speakers bureau had a big book of speakers. And then uh, I created my first videotape. And since it was very high quality, I had success early. I mean, back then, you literally had to overnight videotapes to people, literally. I mean, it was just insane. Think about it now, clicking on a video on YouTube. So it was uh, pioneering back then and just kind of creating a unique selling proposition. Because, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting industry. It's still very video-driven. People are making a decision sometimes in 90 seconds when they're looking at your video. The technology is sure, sure a big game-changer, but I think the thing that has sustained me and what many entrepreneurs in this room, people buy you for who you are. They refer you for the experience they have. Um, the best marketing still out there is, is uh, word of mouth, good testimonials, people having experienced what you do and wanting to refer you. I mean, there's so often now I think people in business are not taking the time to really think, how can I be more referable? How can I be easier to work with? What can I do to stand out and be unique? And it's just people are so busy chasing the next deal, they forget to do that. You know, thinking about all the motion that you went through during those years, it obviously kind of polished your character a lot, right? You know, start kind of making you who you are right now in terms of I know, like, as you said, like, right, you always need to think outside the box, like, okay, how we can do this or that, sometimes take risk, right, sometimes, and then not having any additional support. So do you think that uh, kind of our generation lack that because of technology, because of the easy ways that we are getting right now? That's an interesting question. I, I think there's a tendency right now to rely on technology, where that technology is and where it's going to be now for five years, I, I fear people are just going to live in a virtual world and they're not going to interact with people anymore. So I think from a business standpoint, I think the old school stuff still works. Most of the companies I talk to, they're looking for people who are coachable, have got a good ad attitude, have got good eye contact, have got a good handshake, are willing to get there early, are willing to stay late, are willing to do what it takes. Many companies and many business models, they can teach you what you need to know, but it's those soft skills and tangibles. That's like still the number one book on my book list. If anybody wants a great list of things to listen to, I call it the 4% solution. Pretty simple. 4% of 24 hours is one hour. So out of 168 hours a week, that's seven times 24, you got to take at least seven or 4% of that 
and read and listen to the right stuff. So if you Google my name, 4% Solution List, and one of the top three books on there is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Business and life still comes down. People want to do business with people they like and trust. And how can you influence other people? And I'm afraid now that some people are not putting the emphasis on those soft skills. For example, for many people out there right now, this cell phone is maybe your best training tool ever. The audio recorder on that and the video recorder on that is so good. If you're doing, let's say, a virtual, we're doing this podcast virtually. Many people did that during the pandemic. They did tons of virtual meetings, but they never once said, hey, you know what, Michael? I want to get some game film today. I'm just going to record this so I can move back and make sure I'm listening. My setup is good in terms of audio and video, but I want to just listen. Most people have never heard themselves or seen themselves live. And so that one habit of consistently reviewing how you sound and how you look will put you ahead of the rest, but most people aren't willing to do it. Thanks, Chip. I was just, it just got me thinking about, you know, like just on general, a person need to go through the challenge, through a struggle to be able to, you know, get to when one should get to. It's like you can, it's, it, it shouldn't be easy for you, right? I think some people settle for that though, you know, that they, uh, they get comfortable. And they reach this. This happens to many people. It just depends on what your reference is for being successful. Where there's nothing wrong with doing job X, but if that was your first job out of school and you stick with that your whole life and you get comfortable because that's what you know and you never really looked at other stuff, that's why the four percent solution comes in so much. Is as you're because education starts after you're out of school. Most people you're competing with, like I've been telling my you know kids, you know. It's a law of association. It's a biblical scripture. I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33. It says, don't be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. So it's not just the company of people, although you got to choose your friends wisely because the wrong people right. can take you down the wrong path. It's what you choose to associate with. What are going to be the positive messages you listen to? Positive videos, the positive books, the positive people, the positive mentors. Mm-hmm. And all that good stuff in will change your philosophy over time. If you just read consistently in your career one good nonfiction book a month, and let's say somebody's 23 listening to this right now, so you listen to one good non you read one good nonfiction book a month over the next five years, and you listen to one positive podcast message a day, whatever it might be, in any area you want to go. So after five years, you've read 60 nonfiction books and you've got all those distinctions in your head. And you've listened to almost a couple thousand podcast messages. But you also have to practice the law of disassociation. There's some websites, I mean, around the world, pornography is a habit that many people have. There's this website you shouldn't go to. There's the time suck of TikTok and the scrolling nature of all these things. It can suck anybody in. You got to say, hey, I, I can do that 10 minutes a day, but not two hours a day. There's certain things I won't spend time. I will not put it into my head. Life's too short. And I think some people don't look at their associations and say, okay, this is a good one. This is a good one. Ooh, you know what? I can't spend the weekend with that person anymore. They're dragging me down. So you have to really make a conscious choice because, you know, one of the old computer terms is garbage in, garbage out. In terms of putting garbage in your brain with the wrong associations, the wrong videos, the wrong people, garbage gets comfortable in your head. Garbage warps your philosophy. Mm. So you got to right. really be careful where you're spending your time in terms of what you're putting into your brain. Most people have lazy associations, I think. It's a great term to use. I, use, I 
I say that it's called like for me a personal uh, an information hygiene, right? So uh, you should be careful about what pages you follow, what website you visit, right? What people you talk to, and just uh, generally because there's so many of them out there, right? Is there oh. so many books? There's so many channels. There's so many applications, and just spending all of your attention on all of those applications, it just be it's not going to be enough for your 24 hours, right? So no. what I did for myself, I was like, if I, if I have a Facebook page, I know, okay, I'm spending too much time on Facebook. So what I do, do I need to follow all the people that I have in my friend list? Maybe I will unfollow some, right? Like, do I actually need to see this newsfeed, right? Maybe I don't need that. So it took me, let's say, 20 minutes to clean up my my newsfeed. But then whenever I go there, it takes Good me choice, like one yeah. minute... It takes me one minute to kind of finish up my newsfeed and say, okay, I'm done. What's going to happen with your mindset in the next two, three, four, five years? As you said, consistently, right? Who I want to be in five years and whether the information that I'm consuming right now would help me to get to that point, right? Exactly. Or you back it up and say, you know, here's where I am now. Here's the life I'd like to have in five years. Okay. I'd like to be able to start my own business or I'd like to... um totally change my physical body or whatever. You know, it's, it's what are the simple things I could be doing day after day? Jim Rohn talked about the formula for success is a few simple disciplines you repeat day after day. People underestimate the power of doing the right thing over and over and over. We, we, we live in a microwave society, the quick fix thing. And it's been like this for a hundred years. I've got a book over here called Think written in 1918 by Colonel Hunter, where he talks about the pill fiend in 1918. People can't sleep. They want to take a pill. They want to lose weight. They want to take a pill. They want a drug to change the way they feel. So it's the quick nature of that. We underestimate the power of saying, hey, this is where I'd like to be in five years. I'm going to set up a schedule 4% of my day. If somebody's single and no kids, they could do 14%. They could do the 8% solution. I'm going to be reading two books a month, and I'm going to be listening to two podcasts a day, whatever it might be. But it's just consistently saying, I will do that and get there. It's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, Jim talks about, you know, you, you, you change the set of the sale and a little bit of change right here in a longer amount of time drastically changes your destination. But you've got to make that little change here to get to the long term change. Yeah, but it gets the discipline, right? So you need to yeah. be a disciplined person for that. Now, talking about the discipline. So you've been doing speaking for for what, like 30 years now? 30 years, unbelievable. A thousand different events, almost over, well, just on Delta, almost 3 million miles on all airlines, way over that, yeah. Such events, uh, you know, this volume, you know, drain a lot of energy, pre-event, post-event. Like, can you speak to me about the routine? Had it changed over the years with for you? It's like, what was that when you started out? And just generally, just uh, paint for me, like, uh, on average, like, how... How, what is the week or the month of, of your life would be in terms of just sure. the speed of things? Well, it, it, it just radically changes. Um, usually there's seasonal times that are really busy. I mean, still, um, speaking is free. They pay me to travel. Because when you start thinking 3 million miles, 1,000 events, how many hotel nights, how many cabs and Ubers, you know, it's, it, it really, really adds up. And that is a lot of time away. But my belief was I was led to be there. You know, there's a reason I'm in front of that audience. Those people need to hear my message. Um, certain times of the year, January, February, could just be insane. I mean, uh, you know, I've had, you know, 10 events in 12 days in 10 different cities. It can be insane. So what has sustained me and my belief system is 
I talk about people, my brand is about getting switched on and getting switched on. You got to think long-term and the best investment you're ever going to make is in your number one asset in your health and fitness. And you've got to be consistent. And one of the best things about this message my last 30 years is I got to walk my talk. I can't talk about energy and taking care of yourself and show up not looking like I do it, right? Like I walk my talk. So it's it's been exciting, but it's been a challenge over the years because um, like any entrepreneur knows, there's peaks and valleys. When 9-11 hit, that just decimated the industry for quite a while. Then you build it back. Then you got the global financial crisis, 2007, 2009, decimated the industry. <laughs> then the global... I don't want to get political, but this whole pandemic thing with the virus, all the truth is coming out now about this. But the business got totally cut. I mean, that's why I kind of pivoted to uh, wellness during the pandemic, because literally my speaking career was totally wiped out. You know, I watched uh, 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 John Waite, who was the, in the babies and uh, um, solo artist for many years. And there was a documentary on Netflix about his life and what happened. It was filmed during the pandemic. And all of the singers and all of the actors and all of the comedians and all of the speakers and all of the trainers who were sidelined. It was tough. We were used to being out there traveling. You know, my wife is like, hey, aren't you ready? You know, got to get out of the house. I was in the house way too much when she was used to having me gone. So it, it, it's just been a massive um, process of adapting your message to the times and trying to stay fresh and trying to stay unique and uh, be top of mind. But it's tough with the way that uh, the Google algorithms change, with paid search for people. You know, you were talking about with social media, for example, and what you intake. AI feeds you what you like, right? Because it knows what you've watched in the past or what you've listened to. So it keeps feeding you more of the same. I think people need to take the opportunity to go look at something, you know, you've never heard or seen before. Have you been doing any specifically, for example, like, I don't know, like uh, doing exercise every day, just you know, sure. eating healthy and just generally, um, and again, because like with this amount of energy that you need to give away with always be on your feet, you know, et cetera, right? Like what, what did you do, you know, like to stay in the zone, to stay energized? That's one of the things I pride myself on because I've traveled so much. I'm used, I'm upgraded a lot to first class. And I'll be honest, if you look at the, I'm, I'm 62 I'm 192 pounds, I'm 14.1% body fat, and I've been like that basically for 30 years. And I'm proud of myself because when you're looking at most of the road warriors who were in first class, not many of those people have taken good care of themselves. Because when you're on the road that much, eating late, drinking more, they're not working out. So one of the tools I'll give people, if you Google get switched on energy schedule in my name, it'll take you to a PDF. So I was just pulling these out. It's just a simple form right here. And at the top, it says, I, because my belief is you don't have to work out like an Olympic athlete, but you have to be consistent. Because what happens if you go to the gym, you see all these people who wake up at, you know, 45, 50, 55, they get out of the, the shower naked one day and they look in the mirror and go, oh shit, I got major work to do. Because all of a sudden they look at themselves and go, I put on 50, 60 pounds. You can change at that point, but most people aren't doing radical enough little changes. They're not working out hard enough. They're not hiring a personal trainer. They're not cutting out all sugar, for example, like that. So my strategy is it just says, I must work out a minimum of blank days a month. Then you put your oath there, you sign it. Then it has the month. Let's say we're in June right now, 31 boxes. So you're literally fill in the boxes. And my minimum number forever has been 18 days. And these are 
six month after six month after six month after six month after six month. So I think you got to ask yourself one question is number one, how long do I want to live? Personally, I'm going for a hundred. We all know people in our lives that are 80, 90, yeah. physically fresh, vital, living great lives. Well, it wasn't an accident. And the key thing is that so many people, they might be 54 and old and decrepit. I guess one of my philosophies is it's the power of one decision. Right. One new discipline. You say, hey, Chip, that's a good idea. I'm going to Google right now. I'm stopping the podcast. I'm going to Google Get Switched on Energy Schedule. I'm printing it out. I'm putting the minimum number. I'm going to put my oath there, and I'm going to start filling in those boxes. I'm saying one new discipline can change your entire life. We're all only one change, one new decision from massive change. And so just getting yourself to do one thing that you hadn't been doing can change your philosophy because what some people have that limiting belief, well, you know, Chip, I, you know, I do that. I've just never been very disciplined. You never used to be very disciplined, but a new streak of counting those little boxes, a streak starts with one. You say, I'm going to start doing that day after day after day and see what happens to your life when you make one new decision. But the number one cause of death in the world today is not heart disease, type 2 diabetes, stroke, it's the unhealthy lifestyle that most people live. And that was Matthew Reeves did that study at Michigan State University. And so asking yourself, how long do I want to live? But then it's, I talk about the difference between lifespan and health span. It's not how long, it's how healthy do you want to be? So making that decision, say, I want to make it to 90 plus and be healthy. Well, are you on track right now? Do you have the physical, mental, dietary habits to get you there? And if you don't, you got to freaking change. You know, it's it's just all well-rounded approach. So it's you shouldn't be just yeah. be disciplined with your work, right? Like I am very disciplined with my work. It's like yeah. I am very disciplined with regards to my family. I never miss a dinner with wife and kids, right? Like, but it's also about kind of being disciplined about taking care of your education, right? Like, hey, as you said, like, can I read one book a month, non-fictional, right? Or taking care of your exercise and having a schedule is the is a fascinating way of sort of like putting yourself in a discipline because when you think of i want it to be healthy there's no it's it, if it's a project then you don't know there's no deadline for that project now now the question is but you, do you, you also you celebrate point there yeah. put it in your calendar right don't go in well i'll work out when i can well, you, you probably won't it, putting in the calendar is one of the best ways I'm doing things. So I'm, you know, because I have my team booking meetings for me, I always put in the calendar whatever I'm doing. So if I'm not putting the calendar in the, in the calendar of the training, then I'm potentially going to have someone putting the meeting in that spot. So I'm putting okay. the meeting. So, but then if you put the, the, the training in the calendar, then you already have it planned out for you. So you don't need to make that decision. The decision was already made. And if you right. put that as the recurring event, right, because now we have a technology, so you know that on... On Tuesday morning, I'm doing running or I'm doing training or I'm doing yoga, whatever. Have you always had that discipline around your physical activity? No. When did it change? I think it changed when I realized that, as as you did, like, what is the life I wanted to live once some of those goals, personal goals that I have are achieved, right? It's not about the goal. It's about the path. But what happens after or between? So if I'm not taking care of myself and I'm not disciplined, I'm not healthy enough, then the result of the work that I'm doing, I'm meaningless. 
right? Like they're not gonna. So it's like whatever, like you know, how much money you have in the bank doesn't matter if you're not healthy to use those that those money or not spending time with your family, right? Or or, or watching your kids grow and just being from the hospital to a hospital, right? So it just doesn't well, that can sense. help people to think, you know, hey, I want to be alive with my grandkids, my great grandkids. I'm not on track right now because. Yeah. I think a lot of when people make that change, there's a leverage point. There's a moment you say, uh, I love what Jim Rohn used to talk about. He said, disgust is a powerful motivator, right? Right. You say, that's it. This is going to change right now. And some people won't change until they get to that moment. But the challenge is from a health piece, it's a great article people can Google. I think it was 2005 in Fast Company called Change or Die. And it basically says, what if you were even that choice, Michael? You went to the doctor. Doctor says, you got to change. You're going to die. Could you change? Would you change? And the odds are nine to one against you from making any changes. So people think, oh, my God, if I got cancer, and some people do. Some people get cancer, and they totally change their lifestyle, and they can cure themselves of cancer. Ninety percent of the people, for example, who get a coronary bypass, which is obviously a very difficult, expensive, very difficult operation, splitting your chest for a coronary bypass, the article said 90% of the people who get that operation within 18 months are right back on the lifestyle that brought that disease state around. And the article, it's phenomenal. People got to read it. If you're facing a health challenge, you want to talk about change in your uh, organization, how do people change? And, you know, there was a myth that crisis is a powerful motivator for change, right? We've all heard that. Given a crisis, hey, I'm going to step up and make changes. 90% of the people don't. And one of the main reasons, one of the other myths was gradual changes are always easier to make and sustain. You ever heard that? Like say, hey, you just had a coronary bypass. Don't start with anything through strenuous, strenuous, right? Start with baby steps. You just had a coronary bypass. You lived a horrible lifestyle, and you start making little changes in your diet and exercise. Little changes are likely going to yield little results. So you keep doing little changes, and after 18 months, nothing really changed. You say, screw it. I'm going to go back to what I did. I have a friend of mine hired me multiple times from Gables Residential, Donna Summers, is her name. After my talk two years ago, she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And I talked about the number one health problem for most people, their number one source of calories is soda, for example. Right. I don't know about internationally, but the average American drinks 746 12-ounce sodas. She was drinking five Dr. Peppers a day. So what did she do? Cut back to four? No. Cut it out entirely lost 40 pounds, and reversed her type 2 diabetes. And she's like, bullshit, I can reverse this. Cut out the soda, and she did it. Yeah. It's interesting. People, people are afraid people of the don't radical realize. change. Yeah. And they don't even realize how magical the body is and how adaptable it is, right? So 100%. It's like, God created an unbelievable body. Yeah. This environment, you know, there's a great verse in Scripture, treat your body as a temple, right? Speak to me about... Um, the experience of sort of like living 30 years, staying healthy, being 62, being full of energy, just going after it and having that kind of mindset. So just as an example of, of your life, sort of like what's it, what it has been for the last 30 years, like just sort of living with that mindset. That's funny you ask that because I, 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 most people have seen the shows they have on the weight loss shows called The Biggest Loser. You ever seen that? No. So they take these people who are all obese and they put them through a program to help them lose weight, right? I'm like, they don't need the biggest loser show. They need people like me or people like some of my friends. Hey, you're 62. You're in great shape. You're 80. You're 90. How did you do that? What were your habits? What was your lifestyle? What was your mindset? 
How did you live your life where you reduced your stress? Those are the people we need to study. Here's one of the great quotes. I'll never forget. It was uh, December 1988. Tony used to have the Del Mar Castle, if people are really into Tony. And I was there and they had the program, and there was a living health program, I believe. And he said something that changed my life. And he said, most people, the vast majority of people are going to die of preventable diseases. I'd never thought of that before. You're thinking most people die of something stupid they could have prevented. So I started thinking, well, geez, what are the simple things I could do every day? Do the internal shower, do the green smoothie, avoid soda, energy drinks, processed foods, don't eat much crap, have the big salad, uh, try to do organic when you can. Uh, those are pretty simple. I mean, it, and it's been that way. Again, disease is not the natural state of the body. You know, you think of uh, lumberjacks in America, Paul Bunyan's the legendary lumberjack, the greatest lumberjack of all time. And his key discipline to be the greatest lumberjack of all time was to consistently sharpen his axe. It wasn't to chop harder. A lot of people are out there working real hard with the dull axe and they're not very successful because they suck. The reason they're not getting results is they suck. Their axe is dull mentally, physically. It takes a tear on you if you're not working on yourself and you're not in good physical shape and your energy is low and you got a bad attitude. It's hard to be successful. And just to add on that, uh, you know, I think a human body needs to struggle a bit. You know, you need to be hungry just for a while. You don't necessarily need to snack. You know, it's like well, every time I am a bit hungry, I want to get a snack. Just don't snack, right? Like just be the bit hungry. Wait until a few hours until you're there. Hundred percent. I just did one of my new wellness videos is on time restricted eating, which is very close to intermittent fasting. It's very very smart. Most people don't realize the biggest consistent energy drain on your body is digestion. It's one of the major reasons. You know, ideally after five or six, you don't want to eat. Some people have a habit of eating at eight thirty, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. What's your body doing all night? Digesting that meal when you're trying to recover. So that, that that's right. Well, you know, uh, here's a great quote. I mean, what Tony used to say, you want to live a long time? Eat a little. How many overweight people do you see over 80, 85, 90? They're all thin. Every one of them. I have friends that, you know, that just, hey, you know, I wake up, I don't have energy, I need to eat something, and then I'm just, let's, I can go, right? And I always say, hey, you can get used to being hungry. Just give it like one a few times and then you will be okay with that. So you can actually go without eating for a while, just doing your things. You don't have this spike of sugar in your blood, right? So it means that you every time you're you're a bit tired up or you're just a bit energy down, you don't necessarily need to push it with some sugar, right? Like you, you can kind of go with your scent. That's why energy drinks are so popular. My God, it's just terrible. Because many people just get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee and they go, that's it. You know, personally for me, I maybe have a cup or two a month. I, I don't, I've never gotten in the habit of drinking coffee consistently. I think a cup here and there is not a problem. But if it's like every single day, day after day after day, or, you know, people think they get the Frappuccino or the Mocha thing, it has 700 calories in it. People don't realize that even the freshly squeezed orange juice is a high calorie, oh, high sugar yeah drink right so if you get a glass of that uh, of that that's why uh, just put a little squeeze of orange or lemon or lime or something in there just give a little flavor you know but people don't maybe get tired thing. of drinking water yeah. but you know when um, it's interesting that you mentioned the the frappuccino which is like five six hundred calories in italy i lived some time in italy and whenever mm. you talk to italian every morning they drink only espresso it's a small little espresso couple, right? with one with the one sip or two sips that's it 
And whenever you get it, it's, hey, I want a, a, a cup of coffee, right? And a cup of coffee is like just a standard coffee, right? And then they always are amused when they like you see they see someone drinking the whole. And you know, initially you cannot buy a, a cup of coffee; you buy americano, so you just buy large americano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whenever I'm talking to Italian, they're like, "Non è buono per te, che pazzo!" It's like, why? It's like it's too much coffee. Like you need to taste in your mouth, right? And oh, that's I'm going to borrow that. That's great. I did not realize that. So when you go to France, when you go to Italy, when you go to Portugal, they always have the small espresso cup of coffee with I've a seen those little cups. They're little cups, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little small little cups, espresso with espresso machines. And then what's what's interesting is their breakfast very often starts at like a.m. or something. They take that one espresso and they have this small cookies or they call it like a cannoli or like a small croissant, a small croissant. They take it and they go. And then for two, three hours before the lunch, they're ready to go. They're doing that. But what, what's interesting is when you see when you go to the bar and then in the bar, you see people just drinking that. So you come in, you say a coffee, they do you a small espresso, you drink it and you go. And it costs like 50 cents or a dollar. And it's always standard price and across the board. So all the restaurant, wow, all okay. the bar, they have the standard $1. So you always can get that croissant and that coffee with that one box and that's it. And and then they just don't realize like why, you know, drinking that, especially with milk or especially with something. It's like, you don't need that. For example, when you take a pizza, right? The pizza always is the standard size and it never goes with anything. So you just take the pizza and that's it. And you don't drink anything with the pizza because it's enough calories for you for the pizza yeah. as like a, a, a primo or something. And that's it, right? Yeah. And what's interesting, just to add on this, the way even yeah. you eat your dinner is, is different. There is a reason why you always start with the small entree, then you get the salad or you get the side, and then you get the main, which is usually right. a meat or a fish. Because when you start with something like a salad, then you start your digestion starts working on. So then when mm -hmm. it comes to the meat or to, to the fish or whatever, to the, some protein, high protein, then it's easier to, to digest. But if you start with the fish or just protein and have a huge steak without getting any, the just warm up before that, then you have, and then that's why, for example, you, you drink a small digestivo. It's like a small limoncello or a small drink after yeah, that yeah, just yeah. to help with digestion, right? Sure. These small, the small things, but if you do that consistently over the course of your life, it's a huge impact on your life later on. You hit on something important, I think, that's probably a little different um, in Europe versus the U.S. Portion control is essential. Right. Yeah. You know, I just, that's one of the new videos I just did was on portion control and studying it. Like the average bagel has tripled in the last 30 years. Bagels used to be like this. Now you go in there this. Like when my wife and I, my, you know, I praise my wife. She weighs the same as she did when I married her 28 years ago. And one of the things we've always done is we rarely get an entree apiece. We maybe get an appetizer, a salad, and we split an entree. Like the people at home, simple thing you can do. Um, you know, it's, it's the law of it. I don't think they have them much in Europe. In America, they have different places. All you can eat buffet. Yeah. Yeah. All so in, all if you go to the right? buffet line with a plate this big, you're going to fill it up. If you go to the buffet line with a plate this big, you're going to fill it up. So just start using a smaller plate at home, a smaller bowl. Just look at portion control. My 19-year-old my will grab a bag of chips. I'm like, no, grab a little container and throw some chips in it. Because if you have the whole bag in front of you, yeah, you can drain the, the whole bag. bag. 
So that's one of the key things people have to look at is just, uh, it's like, don't, you know, if you want to live longer, eat less. It, it, you know, it's not rocket science, but it all comes with a choice. And I think personally just saying, hey, if you have a family, you want to be a good role model for your kids, um, they're going to watch what you do pretty quick. If they see you reading consistently, if they're riding around the car with you and you're listening to an interesting podcast, they can maybe get into it. Depends on their age, but they'll think that's normal. If they see you and your spouse go out, your partner go out and walking and running, that's just, I mean, are your kids going to grow up in a, in a lifestyle that is healthy that you want to pass on to future generations? That's, that's a key question you got to ask. What am I doing to future generations of my family based on the way we're living right now? Who was your road model? Like why, what was that turning point in your life or who was that person? I grew up in that household. My mom and dad were very disciplined that way. You know, I remember my dad doing push-ups and uh, working out. And I mean, from a diet standpoint, it was tough. He ran a, 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 bought a bankrupt Ford dealership with his best friend in 1967 and worked his ass off and, You know, I think he was probably drinking a pot of coffee a day and probably meat with 21 meals a week and didn't go to the gym consistently, but he never really was really overweight. But X number of years into it, I can't remember now, but bleeding ulcer had half his stomach removed. That's not normal. And so I saw that my dad was unbelievably disciplined in business and worked his ass off and was very successful and was a great parent, was a great husband before he passed away. My mom and dad would have been married 60 years that following July. But what I learned is what my dad didn't do, he rarely took Wednesday afternoons off to play golf and chill. He and my mom would take big trips during the year for like a couple weeks. I never saw the date nights that much. I didn't see the little weekend excursions that much. I think one of the best things now with the way entrepreneurs can set their life up, like for me, speaking has been a lifestyle business the last 30 years. I've always worked out of the house. I live here in eastern Tennessee. I'm looking out across a beautiful lake at the Smoky Mountains. I always wanted to have a place where when I'm home, I want to I feel like on, I'm on vacation. So I remember when I was building my business early on, man, I'd be down here cranking. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're working for yourself. You could be doing something 24-7, as you know. Right. And like, yeah. I really appreciate what you said. I take the time. I have dinner with my wife and kids. That's crucial. You know, when your kids are young, having those after dinner baths, reading, play a little game. I mean, that's so much of parenting, but so many people can get there. They don't have that balance of, and I've had to learn it, especially during, I'd say COVID when I'm working, I'm going to fricking work. It's uh, when I'm going to leave, yeah. I'm going to go have fun. Always present. Don't, don't sit there and, and fool yourself. You're doing something. Yeah, always present, like being in the zone, right? Being present, right? I think this is one of the key um, advices on being e efficient, right? Like being present, like when you are on that Zoom call, then you need to be on the Zoom call. You don't need to be just off mute, off camera, just doing something else or checking your mailbox. You need to be present on the call. If you don't need to be present on the call, then maybe you don't need to be on that call, right? They just cancel yeah. that. You don't just remove that. But being present, whatever you are doing, like being present... With your body, with your mind, with your family, with your partner, with your business, always being present. And if you kind of develop being that present, you will learn how to switch between tasks quickly. And it's not going to be very energy. So you can be very like curious about the next things. I'm curious about this conversation. I'm curious about my next meeting. I'm curious about my dinner. Like what is going to be on the dinner? What we're going to talk? What we can do with that? But not 
just zone out, just being present. I think like just learning how to be present. And then what is interesting it's a, is... It's a skill. It's a skill. It's a skill. Yeah. Some people weren't taught that with their family. I think that one of the skills, key skills of entrepreneurship is actually being present. And I think that yeah. the, 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 the most successful entrepreneurs, or all of them actually have that. And I think that you spoke about that. It's something that you've learned over the years of you know, building your lifestyle, building your business, right? Building yourself. Because like, imagine yourself not being present when you're speaking, when you're traveling, when you're preparing, when you're generating new business, when you're like... From, from a presenter standpoint, that's one of the key things is to be in the moment and be there. Um, I'm, I'm not scripted. I know where I'm going. I always have an interactive handout when I'm speaking. I just think there's not much value in people sitting there like this listening to you. I got to get them engaged writing stuff down. Because then I can persuade them. I learned that when I sold tickets for Tony. If I can get them engaged, I can persuade them. So my style is a little bit different to get people engaged and being present in the moment. Because some speakers are so scripted, you just go push play. And every word, every gesture is exactly the same. Every presentation, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's the, um, in acting, they call it the illusion of the first time. Mm-hmm. How does a great actor go on Broadway and do eight shows a week for two years? Same show. They have to put themselves in an emotional space. This is the first time that audience has ever seen it. I'm going to be in the moment where I'm really present with the other actors. Or you're present on stage. You're reacting. You've got to look at the physiology and know what's going on. And that, that's a real skill. I've always believed that um, speaking effectively and being good from the front of the room is 100% a learned skill. That is a coachable skill. And you can get better a lot by videotaping, coaching yourself, getting a mentor, um, but most people aren't willing to do that because I'll be honest, many times I'm at the presentation, I'm seeing a lot of C-level speak and they suck. They're so bad. No good opening, no energy, no good stories. They're up there, PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint. And it's the challenge is I think as they rise and rise in business, they, they don't get as coachable as they used to be. They're not looking for coaching. They don't even ask. You know, because right now you always think of uh, building the system, building the process, automating, delegating, right? Like you rarely think of yourself as someone that you need to be building up with regards to different soft and hard skills that you need to gain rather than uh, sort of like how I can build the system that work itself so I can move to another level, right? It's like yeah, that's probably the best business book I'd recommend to people, Michael Gerber. The e-myth, why most businesses don't work and what to do about it. That's what his whole thing. The system is the solution. If you want to go from one location to two locations without you being in both places, you better have a rock-solid system that people can look at and go, okay, I know exactly what to do. Because if that business just relies on you, then you don't have a duplicatable business that can scale. It's interesting that when you mentioned that, I was thinking about curiosity, right? That then when you're present in a moment, you always are curious because you wanted to excite yourself with something, right? Like when, when you mentioned, like when you're an actor and you've done six, you know, eight shows a day or whatever, and you're like every next show, you're like, you were thinking about something new for yourself, like just making yourself curious, excited about something. Sure. And I think that it, it helps a lot with like just building your lifestyle because, you know, just eating healthy or doing exercise, you always learn something new, right? Like just always 
dig for new information and it build up your knowledge base but you're always curious learning and, and and discovering something for yourself and it just it helps you to always get those energy going and those brain brain functioning and always just kind of exploring something and it i think it becomes a habit so you always just then you know just always then be a person that at the same time is present but at the same but at the same time sort of like you're exploring and, and learning different angles and different possibilities and then sort of like building that into your next you and then your next you and then just moving ahead and if you do that consistently now you have a consistent and, and happy and full life with with things happening for you and you're not having any regrets about what you did or didn't do because you're always present. Like there's no regrets if you are accountable for all the actions that you are making. And while you're doing that, you're still making some fun, right? And you're excited yeah. about that. Well, that, that curious mindset is crucial. What is possible? What could I do differently? You know, getting, cause you know, one of the great questions is compared to what? It's like, for example, one of my favorite quotes, supposedly was Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Think about that. That's why social media is so crazy. Comparison is a thief of joy. You love your car, do you go in somebody else's new car and you go, oh, God, I hate my car. You love where you live and you see, oh, I hate my house now. Or comparing, yeah, that's why social media, that's, I've been honest, I've been off Facebook, I've been on there maybe 10 minutes in the last 18 months. I've just kind of given it up. And it just, because everybody pretty much has it together on social media, right? You look at all this stuff and a lot of it's fake. It's just not real. And you're comparing yourself against that, and it just sucks the joy out of you. Over the last, I guess, two and a half years, my biggest client was uh, Lennar Homes, probably the largest home builder in America. And they had 9,800 associates, and I did 39 divisions. I spoke to almost all of them live or virtually after the pandemic hit, and a lot of the message was taking care of yourself as an associate. A big part of your unique selling proposition is who you are, is your energy level, is your health to take care of that. And they launched a new wellness program. They needed content. So I created a series of 37 videos for them, snackable content, three to five minutes, just to drive healthy habits. And that's, you've seen that happen after COVID where people are more focused on mental, physical wellness right now right. and thinking, hey, right. how can I help people? So that's kind of been my passion here the last couple of years is to help with content to engage people to confront neglect and make new decisions. We saw it during COVID. Some people were at home during COVID working from home and they took the opportunity to walk every morning. Some people, the refrigerator was wide open and they put on the COVID 25 pounds, you know? Do you think that it's a good thing that uh, you can, you have more ability to work remotely? Do you think that we as a society are learned to, to work remotely and work from I, I, home I think and it's, be it's to a point in the business model. For example, I know Lennar, they were going... Man, we're never coming back to the office, but people miss that energy. They miss that camaraderie. I think it depends on what you're doing. I think you have to have some kind of connection to the mothership. That's why the live meetings, I mean, what people hire me for is usually their annual off-site live meeting. And so many have been like, this is only the first time since COVID or the second time. The energy is just electric because people are dying for connection. You can't get that virtually. You need to be face-to-face. -face. So um, I'm sure there's certain positions you can do it. But, man, I, I think um, some people really struggle when they're just in their house by themselves. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, and I think that 
you know, we are very social beings. And when you're in the office with people, when you get the energy going, when you can, I don't know, like shake hands, touch people, have the conversation, you're just more happy as the person, right? I think we were like designed to be within the group. And when you're not in the group for a long time, you're getting depressed and yeah. uh, you lose the energy, a lot of energy, and you lose motivation, you lose the sight. One of the interviews that, well, the recent interviews that I saw of Elon Musk, he mentioned like why he asks all of his uh, employees to go and work from the office. And he said like, hey, is it fair to nurses and doctors and engineers, people that are taking care and, and creating that you are working all the time from home so you're not getting your ass off your, your house? And yeah. Is it fair for them? Why should they do every time taking care of your life and then you should be at the home? But and you work from, as you said, like you, you work for yourself, you work from home, you spend a lot of time at home. So it's like, you're one of the people that successfully worked remotely w w before it become it became an ex uh, mainstream, yeah. oh, right? Oh, it's not easy. You've got to have good discipline, got to have a good routine, 100%. But I mean, you know, uh, you're balancing out with, with, with travel and what I did. I mean, you know, it was a little bit glamorous because I'm going to cool events and like when there was a neat location, I'm, you know, if I'm going to Kauai, I'm, my wife's going to obviously come with me or... I, you see my picture of uh, Sydney back here. I was, yeah. I've done a, quite a few things down in Australia, and I'll go down to Australia. I'm usually going to bring the kids on that trip, or so we've we've combined it with uh, health and lifestyle uh, vacations. You know, it's one of the the couple things my dad taught me was the difference between a trip and a vacation. When you go out and you bring your kids with you, Michael, that's a trip. When you leave them at home with the grandparents and you go with your spouse, that's a vacation. You need to have vacations away from the kids. The, the power of date nights. So many people, they're in the romancing stage and they're doing all the fun stuff. Then you get married and you have kids and you get busy. It's like you stop doing the really fun stuff that drew you together in that relationship. So it's really, um, especially with your kids. How old are your kids now? I don't have any. Oh, I thought you said kids. Okay. You don't have no, any kids yet. No, yet. yet. One day I no. hope you're blessed with it. Well, the people out there listening with kids, you know, by the time they're 15, 16, 17, they're going to look back on a handful of unique experiences you did together. Where'd you go? Where'd you take them? What'd you learn? What was the trip? Was there an adventure element to it, a risk element? Those are the things that will really uh, imprint them for the future. So it's taken the time for ourselves too. Um, there's a guy named Gary Brecka. I've started following a unique guy and he had a great quote and he says, aging is the aggressive pursuit of being comfortable. So you think about that. Um, People, you know, like grandpa, you shouldn't go out and mow your own lawn. Yeah, I should. There's a reason grandpa's 80. He still mows his own lawn and he's in shape. Grandma, get out of the garden. No. So many people live a sedentary lifestyle. One of my wellness videos was sitting is killing you. I'm sitting right now, but I've got my stand-up desk right here that I use a lot to try to stand up. Getting uncomfortable. When people work out, you see the people walking on the treadmill. Yeah. Same speed the whole time. No, you need interval training. You've got to get your heart rate up, then get it down, get it up, get it down. You want to do some curls to your biceps? You can't do the same weight over and over. You have to up the weight to up the resistance to get your muscles uncomfortable to react. So uh, getting uncomfortable and um, uh, physically, I think, is very, very important. You know, I, I've worn a Fitbit forever. This is probably my fourth version. People have the Apple Watch. you got to monitor your movement. 
you know, um, just doing what they call a biometric screening every year. Some people, some wellness programs don't even do, oh, we have a wellness program, you do a biometric screening. Let's say, you know, the office, the van pulls up, they draw blood, they have you stand on a scale, they get your weight, they get your height, they get your waist size, you're going to get your cholesterol, get your triglycerides, get your standing heart rate. Those are some basic things you need to measure. And if your standing heart rate's too high, you got to start working your heart out because it's a muscle you can make stronger. But it takes resistance and it takes getting uncomfortable. It's an interesting point about, I think this is like a summary of our conversation. It's like, how did Chip get uncomfortable when he started and throughout his life, how he's getting uncomfortable every day and why getting uncomfortable is actually good for you, right? And that's, that's a, and you can get uncomfortable, you know, working remotely, working in the office, but you need to do that every day to have a happy life. And if you are comfortable with yourself and with whatever is happening with you and you're in a very deep comfort zone, that something is wrong, right? Like, and I, especially it's with regards to like a profession, right? I, I wanted to touch base on that as well because, um, you know, well, obviously we're talking about the growth, professional, personal growth. And I think that very many people are getting comfortable with their profession just because they're doing the routine thing again and again and again and again without kind of getting uncomfortable with, with regards to what and how they do. And I think that working remotely from home is actually a bad thing because you're comfortable more time in your day just because you're in your own space all the time and it's hard and hard and hard to get uncomfortable. Yeah, I would agree. Especially if what you're doing is repetitious and it's the same kind of stuff day after day after day. My God, that's monotonous. I, I talk to people all different ages, all different groups. I, I just talked to a group at the Printing Industry Association of the South and was little older group, a lot of business owners, you know, 50s and 60s. And, you know, people say, well, I'm going to take better care of myself when I retire. Probably want to do it before you retire. You need to get an interesting life and take care of yourself now. Because when I talk to people who retired, it's usually the most successful people sometimes who have the most difficult adjustment to retiring because they gain so much of their identity and self-worth from who they were and what they did. Once that is gone, where do you get that from? You got to be really ke- careful who you are now and who you're becoming and get that clarity of how you're going to make a difference because the people in retirement where every day is so repetitious, that's when it gets a problem. So it's it's getting uncomfortable and creating a new vision of what's possible for you. The law of familiarity is the more you're around it, the more you're going to take it for granted. And that's where it happened. That, that's a killer of relationships. The more you're around somebody, the more you tend to take them for granted. And your focus goes from what you love and admire about somebody to what you hate and little stuff that just pisses you off. Because there's an old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Contempt, disdain, or hatred. So the more you're around somebody, the more you tend to hate them because you're not focusing anymore what you love and admire. You're focusing on what you don't like. That happens with a career or a job. You got to focus. What do I love about this? How am I nurturing myself? How am I making a difference? Because there's always bullshit and stuff you have to put up with in any career. But you got to be careful what you focus on. Yeah. But it's also about the cycles, right? There's always a cycle, a progression, right? So people take for granted because they are within what they think that we should be in the same stage or phase all the time, even in a profession, right? It's I'm with this company for five years. 
oh, things so changed. I don't recognize the company anymore. We lost whatever. And you're like, it's a progression. So there's always something you're going and then something you're losing, something you're gaining. And then what's new is there, right? Like, because like you probably can find something new in your wife after five, 10, 15 years, right? Or in your relationship, like, right? Like you said, if you stay curious and you look. Exactly. But, you know, there's always going to be change. It's been, you know, there's going to be another big change coming up. Something's going to happen. You know, it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, the author, they asked him, you know, how'd you go bankrupt? He said, very slowly, then all of a sudden. That's how things happen. You know, very slowly, then all of a sudden. So what I think how to change-proof or disaster-proof your life is to make sure, you know, Jim Rohn's fundamental quote, again, R-O-H-N for those people, go to YouTube. Jim Rohn lives on YouTube. You got to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And most people are just working hard on their job. They're not working hard on themselves. They're not doing that 4% solution. The little things you do to invest in your mental health, whether you, you know, learn a little simple breathing, mindfulness routine to meditate, or it's the little things you're reading, listening to, watching, exercise. As long as you're consistently working on yourself, the key is to create value because money, Jim taught me, is an exchange of value. If I want to generate more income, I got to create more value. So the key for me to create more value is to find a way to consistently become more valuable. And that's a daily process. Most people aren't succeeding to the level they could because they're not consistently becoming more valuable. It's a choice. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm just a big believer in consistent habits. It makes life so much easier if you're consistent. You know, nothing's wrong with, you know, it's an apple a day. You may have heard that phrase. An apple a day will keep the doctor away. It's not a donut a day. Life's too short. Like, I love apple fritters, but I might only have one a month. It's okay to have an apple fritter once a month, just not every day, right? You don't have to be perfect. Hmm. Life's too short not to have a great apple fritter or a piece of chocolate yes, cake. Yes, yes. You always need to be a bit, a little hedonist, right? Like, or sort of like just enjoying the life, enjoying it. But do yeah. it in the dosages, right? There is a, a character in the book, Dorian Gray, right? So if you can do whatever, then you're going to be bored and it's not good for you. But they do it in certain dosages and just kind of develop or grow with this, with emotion, right? And then just sure. kind of do more and more and it's going to be fine with you. Awesome. What's well, a process? You know, with personal growth, one thing you listen to, one thing you read, one podcast you watch leads to the next thing. And then one distinction you get here, you learn another distinction here, another one here, then all of a sudden it's like the tumblers in a lock. Click, 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 breakthrough idea. But it never would have happened without those three new associations you're putting into your brain. Yeah. But at the same time, you can listen, uh, you know, you can learn, but then you also need to try it to go out oh, there. You take and action. To, oh, 100%. Exactly. exactly. That's anything Tony's known for is taking massive action. Yeah. And I think that what your life taught you and then what I'm trying to incorporate in my daily life is that whatever you learn is great and you always need to spend time on learning but it's the number of actions you're taking every day and then what you're doing is that would test with who you are because it's one thing to listen to a podcast about how to be healthy it's one thing to actually to be healthy right or about being effective well here's a breakthrough idea for people 
Um, get some kind of tablet or a journal. I've got over here, I'll grab one. When I started with Tony, Jim Rohn used to say, if life is worth living, life is worth recording. And so I, st- I got my first journal. I've got 19 of those over there. I'll be honest, when I started with Tony in 88 to my first daughter was born, probably about, oh, good Lord, how old is she now? For 14 years, I was unbelievably disciplined. So I keep a journal like a scrapbook. So like pictures, I would go to church, there'd be in a fill-in-the-blank, uh, cards people would send me, movies I would go to. So here's the breakthrough idea for people. Uh, be an active listener. So when you're reading a book, Have a journal and start writing down those great ideas. When you're listening to a podcast, have it near you where you can jot down those good ideas. And you keep a journal of all your great ideas, and you can go back and review it. It's much better being an active listener than just sitting there listening to stuff. Certainly that'll help you. But, you know, you go to a seminar, bring your journal to start writing stuff down. I can go back to those journals over there, and it's just unbelievable because you can't trust your memory. I mean... The things that I can remember in my journal because I wrote it down or because I have that picture or because I have that thank you card from somebody who wrote that to me. That's in April 1997. I spoke at that event. They wrote me that thank you card, for example. But being an active listener, you got to make it a study. And I'll repeat that. If life is worth living, life is worth recording. People have gotten so digital now. How often do you review it, go through that? Have you had oh, a I chance? I go back several times a year and I'll pull them up. I'll go through the whole thing. So um, I think that the, the final question to, to wrap this up, because I know we're out of time. So going back and looking through all those journals, can you paint for me how you kind of developed as the person? Where there are some kind of very bright moments of your character that have changed over the years, you being more mature, getting older. Have you had, have you noticed in yourself some, some of those like small things, but then that were like, that stood out for you over those years or the things that you had in your core code as your sort of like basis, the thing that you believed in, they remain the same as the sort of like that for you as the character, if you know what I mean. What I mean. Good question. I get it. I would say overall, my core code was pretty hardwired. Um, I was always pretty uh, disciplined in what I did. I think one of the things I look back in one of the journals over here was um, first time I'd never done a real goal setting session, and I think that was back in '89 in spring. I went through and it's really designing your life and figuring out going back short-term, long-term goals, income, lifestyle, house, cars, family, who you want to be, what you want to accomplish. And the power of really writing that down and then you're figuring out who do I have to be. One of the things we did with Tony at his Date with Destiny program was to create a code of conduct of what I am going to be every single day. And I've had that laminated in my shower for probably 20 years in terms of how I am going to be every day, in terms of being patient, in terms of, I am fun, I am patient, I am guided, I am disciplined. And it's like James said, every day you, you know, track that and you write it down, that's a vote for the person you want to be. So instead of just saying, we'll see what happens, that's what a lot of people do. We'll just see what happens. Well, you got to be a more proactive. Like, you know, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, i am never forget, I've got some pictures I show in my seminar where I was almost killed. I was thrown out of the raft. And uh, if you 
Ocoee, O-C-C-E-E, the Ocoee River down here in North Georgia Mountains, class four and five rapids, very scary, and people die every year. But our, the a guy gave us the advice before we went on the rafting trip, and he said, hey, in case that happens, you have to take an active role in your own rescue. <laughs> you just can't be there, help me, help me. You're going to die. You've got to step up. And so many people, I don't care what's happened in your life. Your past does not equal your future. Today's a new day. You can get a new vision today, new discipline today, write it down, track it, figure out what your limiting beliefs are that are crushing you. What do you need to believe about yourself, about your future? And then take an active role in your own rescue. It's like if people haven't watched, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but um, Admiral McCraven did a speech at Texas University, University of Texas. And he said in the military, they teach us discipline. Mm. And in the military, they teach us to make our bed. Yeah, I know. First thing I, in the I saw morning. That. I saw but that, it's not yeah. make your bed. It's corners. Make your bed perfectly. And that one right action leads to the next right action. So if you're a person, all the research says, when you want to work out? First thing in the morning, change your physiology, oxygenate your system. I'm not a morning person. Well, freaking change that. Streak starts with one. Have your workout there. Set your alarm to get up a little earlier. Get your ass out and go walk three miles or whatever it is for you. Take the dog out. Day after day after day, you go from somebody, you couldn't do it. Now it's just who you are. It's just part of your life. And you went from somebody who couldn't do that to somebody who could, but it takes a decision. The Latin root of decision is CIS, means cut off or kill. People lack the ability to make a congruent decision. That's why my whole pivot's been towards wellness, helping companies drive those habits deep, driving productivity, reduce absenteeism, cut their healthcare spend. I mean, healthcare costs are, you know, out of control. And you, you got to give people the tools because a lot of people didn't grow up in a family. They don't know how to be healthy. They don't know how to de-stress themselves. They carry on the same bad habits. So it's interrupting and giving people the tools to really help themselves. That's where my passion's been. That's what's been most fun. Helping people who've never heard a positive message before. You know, more frontline employees. The, you know, the, the white-collar people get it all the time. You know, I've been doing some presentations for these paper companies. I'm talking to these hourly workers in the freaking loading dock. Hmm. They, they, some of the stuff we talked about here, never heard that in their life. It's like, wow. It's, that's the most exciting. That's a good mission. That's a strong yeah. mission. Oh, see the light bulb. Switch on. Awesome. And it starts in a moment. You know, it starts in a moment. All right. I think it's a wrap. Listen, I appreciate you and thanks for the conversation. Hey, I really appreciate it. That was fun. Likewise. I, hey, that was bet. great. Thank you. All right. You have a good rest of your day. <laughs>